This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Insider trading. It has been an issue talked about a lot for the U.S. in, uh, in the U.S. for some time. And while rules are in place to deal with that for uh, those involved with U.S.-based companies, the current concern involves the element of foreign business leaders and insiders getting involved in the practice where there may not be enough safeguards in place. A bill to address this is being brought forward on Capitol Hill by Louisiana, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Wharton Accounting Professor Dan Taylor joins us with more uh, expertise on the topic. Dan, great to have you back with us today. Good to be here, Dan. Let's start with the overall kind of archie, overarching problem and and how prevalent it is in, in this landscape today. I think I think that's a good a good starting point. Um, basically, if you are an officer and director of a U.S. Uh, publicly traded company, you have to file your trades publicly with the SEC within two business days. And those get filed on Form 4 uh, on the SEC's Edgar system, and they're available to the public. So there are uh, commercial data providers that scan those trades. You can look at them on your Schwab account or your TD Ameritrade account. You can look at them online. That disclosure requirement isn't in place for foreign companies that are traded on U.S. exchanges. So, for example, AstraZeneca, based in the U.K., or Alibaba, based in China, or companies based in Cayman or uh, in Russia. Those companies trade on the U.S. exchanges, but their officers and directors do not have to disclose the trades that they make in the company's securities. Uh, on Form 4. And so what some co-authors and I looked at is we got some some disclosures on those trades that are filed on paper with the SEC. We had to go to the SEC's office in, in D.C. to actually root through some file cabinets. And we found, you know, perhaps not surprisingly, that in the absence of required disclosure, you know, Chinese corporate executives, you know, Russian corporate executives, corporate executives of Cayman accounts or Cayman companies are avoiding significant losses, and the evidence suggests that there's a high level of insider trading uh, within those companies. And so we have this bill that is making its way around Congress right now. How much do we know about it and and whether or not it would be potentially uh, fully addressing a lot of these issues? Oh, that's a great question. So, yes, there's definitely a bill that's making its way around Congress. Myself and my co-author, Robert Jackson, actually testified uh, in front of the Senate Banking Committee, and that testimony uh, was the impetus for the bill. Uh, So what the bill would do is it would impose the same requirements of of U.S. insiders on insiders and foreign companies. So it would basically level the playing field. It would say if your company is traded on U.S. exchanges, Regardless of where you are headquartered, whether you're in right. headquartered inside the U.S. or headquartered outside the U.S., you have to comply with the same insider trading rules. Right now, as I mentioned, we have this system where we have a different set of rules. The U.S. insiders have a stronger set of rules than our foreign insiders. We need to change that, and that's what the bill is proposing to do, to treat everybody on the same playing field if their company is listed in the U.S., regardless How much of where it- domiciled. I'm sorry, Dan. How much of a challenge then does it present 
to do that with companies that are headquartered outside of the U.S. and, as you just alluded to, really have different rules in place? Oh, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be that much of a challenge to change the rules. Well, you know, in, in truth, who knows? We need Congress to actually change the rules, and that can be quite right. challenging. Right. But, but what's important to recognize here is that China, Russia, those are non-extradition countries. So right. that creates this notion of the lawproof insider. If there's a Chinese national based in China who's engaging in illicit activity on U.S. capital markets, in some sense, those individuals are beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcement. And as a consequence, we need greater disclosure uh, for those companies and for those insiders in companies domiciled uh, in those countries. And all the bill does, the bill is, is a very you know, straightforward. The bill doesn't say let's require more disclosure of them than we do for the U.S. The law just says, hey, let's require that they comply with the same disclosure requirements as U.S. insiders. I was going to say, I guess maybe I should have said enforcement <laughs> might might have been the, the, the better term to use. Yeah, I mean, enforcement will be tricky, and that's why disclosure is so important. Uh, because in the academic literature, we tend to think of disclosure enforcement as being complements or being potentially, depending on the circumstance, being substitutes. So if yeah. we can't go out and enforce our insider trading laws, we at least need to let the market know what trades are being made so that the market can adjust the stock prices accordingly. So, for example, if we know that Jack Ma is dumping shares in Alibaba, that's very useful for U.S. investors to know because it suggests that maybe he has private information that he's trading on, independent of any enforcement action that the Department of Justice or the SEC may seek. With the Securities and Exchange Commission, how much has this been talked about in the past, or is this kind of a relatively new issue to be discussed by leadership of the SEC? This is a completely new issue. This has never been discussed before. And one of the reasons why it's never been discussed before is just a forgotten, it's a relic of a, from the early 2000s. These foreign insiders from Russia, from China, from the Caymans, they do disclose their trades to the SEC. They disclose them on paper by mailing them to the SEC. And so if you Google around, you can find a paper that I've written with co-authors called Holding Foreign Insiders Accountable. And in there, we actually take snapshots of the actual SEC office where these paper disclosures are filed in file cabinets. Just because no one believed, believed us when we said the SEC is still accepting paper filings. And so using those disclosures, what we found is, is that our Russian insiders and Russian corporate entities traded on the U.S., insiders and Chinese entities traded on the U.S. were avoiding significant losses, selling before average returns of negative 21 percent or negative 35 percent. And so those paper disclosures are what we use to do this analysis to suggest that there was rampant levels of insider trading. And that bill I, I, that you mentioned that's on Congress, that will, that will require the insiders to disclose the trades electronically to the yeah. public so that everyone can see them within two business days. That's what our U.S. insiders have to do. That's what we think our foreign insiders should have to do as well. Dan, as you were describing that whole process, I was waiting for you to say that these letters were these uh, disclosures were being delivered by Pony Express. 
Well, it is it is interesting how, you know, there's a lot of talk about very, you know, political issues, climate, uh, all of these sort of like hot button issues. But the soft underbelly of the SEC and our capital markets is the information plumbing system. And there hasn't been enough attention to the fact that the SEC is still accepting paper filings. And, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, so pay attention. You know, we'll be coming out with some more reports on this. There's a lot of other things that, that have been missed in the, you know, the hot button political issues. Well, well, and, and I think, Dan, it goes to the larger scope of, and this has been talked about in a variety of fronts, really the IRS being one of the most notable, is just, uh, you know, the need to ramp up uh, the technology around a lot of agencies of the, of the U.S. government. You no, know, I mean, that, that's absolutely, I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's the 21st century. We have people engaged in high-frequency trading. You know, we have, you know, incredible high-speed connections, and, you know, our regulatory agencies are, you know, you know have to beg for funding from Congress. Uh, yesterday, Gary Gensler was in front of Congress asking for more funding. That'll be yeah. then used for, for enforcement. You know, and for various political priorities, I would argue it should be used to actually improve the underlying information technology and the, you know, the data backbone that these agencies are running on. I, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but how much of an advantage does it allow them in terms of uh, making the the, uh, the moves that they're making in terms of financial benefit is really what I'm, what I'm talking about here uh, for uh, making these uh, these particular moves? Yeah, so what we did, so just a brief explanation, is we took every trade, which was sales, filed by insiders at Chinese companies that are listed in the U.S. that filed these paper forms. The average trade occurred before, the average sale occurred before stock prices declined by 21%. We then took that number and multiplied it by the dollar volume of trade. And we're not talking about small trades here. The trades are, are, are quite large. For example, our, our, uh, our average trade by Chinese insiders or insiders on Chinese companies is $18.8 million on average. Wow. Wow. And in, in total, these insiders have sold over $47 billion worth of stock in these Chinese entities listed on U.S. exchanges. Now, if you multiply that through by the amount of uh, losses that they've avoided, we actually calculate that they've avoided about $11 billion in losses. And that avoided losses is directly on the backs of U.S. shareholders. So mm-hmm. if I'm an insider at one of these Chinese companies and I know that the stock price is going to crater and I sell before that, I am selling on average to a U.S. insider. So you have this Antip- wealth transfer between our U.S. shareholders and these yeah. Chinese insiders. I would imagine that uh, that your research, which came out, what, about a month ago, I guess it was at this point, Dan, or six weeks ago? Yeah, it came out in, in, in mid-April. That's when we did the, uh, the Senate testimony, and, and we got a little bit of coverage um, in the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal. How, how, mu- how much reaction have you received since testimony uh, about your research from members of Congress because I would think that, you know, as this progresses, and we've talked a lot, you know, uh, in the past about the dysfunction we have on Capitol Hill and how it Im- impacts so much uh, of the economy and, and different types of bills and such, I would think that this would be one of those elements that both sides of the aisle would be very much interested in and, and wanting to push forward on. 
Yeah, so we, we have had some outreach uh, from uh, various politicians. You know, we, we have worked with uh, Senator Kennedy's office. You know, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to work with some with some other Republicans and, and some Democrats as well to to advance to advance this bill. But I think really what we need is we need to make this front and center. Congress and Senate respond to what's in the news cycle, unfortunately. And while you and I and some other people might be outraged by this, it hasn't made it to the top of the news cycle. Uh, so we'd like to educate people out there that this is happening to put pressure on uh, on the Senate on our Senate leaders, uh, Schumer and McConnell, to actually put that bill before the Senate for a vote. Is there an expectation of when potentially that might come about? I would think, unfortunately, because of the timing and and the cycle of of politics heading into midterm election, it it may unfortunately be a little while before that occurs. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. My wife calls me a pessimist. These days I consider myself a realist. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, whether yeah. we'll ever get the vote. I hope that we do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, politics is politics. And so it, yeah. it makes it hard to get anything done in D.C., even if it's common sense uh, issues like this. Dan, as always, great to have you with us. Great work by uh, you and your colleagues. And uh, we'll stay in touch with you on this because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, this does deserve uh, top-of-line uh, coverage, and uh, you obviously are doing some great work here. Thanks, Dan. All the best. Thank you, Dan. Take care. You got it. Dan Taylor, uh, Wharton uh, Finance uh, Professor, joining us here on the show. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.